Greetings, my friend, and welcome to today's episode of Seven Figure Millennials, where you and I are both on a mission to figure out how we can prioritize our happiness, health, and relationships while we make our entrepreneurial dreams a reality and create success for what that means for us, not anybody else's definition. And today is a very exciting episode because we have Steve Sims, the sequel. That is right. Today is the continuation of last week's episode with Steve Sims. So if you didn't listen to that, I would highly recommend that you jump back and listen to the very first part of this episode, but just so we're all on the same page, I'm going to really quick read Steve's bio, and then I'm going to tell you what we can expect from today's episode. Here's a question for you. Do you know anyone that's worked with Sir Elton John or Elon Musk, sent people down to see the wreck of the Titanic on the seabed, or closed museums in Florence for a private dinner party, and then had Andrea Borcelli serenade them while they sat and ate their pasta? You don't? Well, you do now. (laughs) Quoted as the real-life Wizard of Oz by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine, Steve Sims is the best-selling author of Bluefishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. He is also a sought-after coach and a speaker at a variety of networks, groups, and associations, as well as the Pentagon and Harvard, twice. And again, to get the most out of this episode, make sure you go back and listen to part one of this episode. But if you want to make sure that you understand what you're getting yourself into (laughs) in today's episode, you're going to learn three specific things. Number one, the power of unpolished, how Steve built unforgettable relationships with his clients by mailing them his bar receipts from Japan and also sending them ripped magazines. (laughs) Number two, how Steve creates world-class events that make an impact. And we're going to dive specifically into an event where Steve got everyone a private tour of the Tesla Gigafactory, and then afterwards, he took them somewhere that made people so uncomfortable that it made them squirm. So I'm not going to reveal that quite yet, but you'll find out in the episode. You'll have to listen. And then number three, why Steve got laughed at when he went to a gala to get the attention of a very successful venture capitalist, but how that situation actually ended up turning out, in his words, horribly badly well, (laughs) where the same people that laughed at him ended up working with him for over five years. All that to look forward to in today's episode. And as always, before we get into the interview, I want to give a pre-show listener shout out, which this week goes to Ryan Wolfert, who left a review saying, Brandon goes above and beyond with the information he gives to create a fulfilled life. He just keeps giving and giving. Plus, it's amazing how much he's done in such a short time and that there are no excuses to not be who you want to be, do what you want to do, and have what you want to have outstanding stuff. So thank you so much, Ryan. That was such an incredible review. That really made my day. And if you're a returning listener and you haven't had a chance to leave a review yet, why don't you model Ryan? (laughs) Head over to ratethispodcast.com slash 7FM. And it's going to show you exactly how you can leave a review depending on what device you're listening to. I know it can be a little complicated. So not only does it make my day, but it's going to help other people to find the show. So that's again at ratethispodcast.com slash 7FM. So with all that said, please enjoy part two of this incredible conversation with Steve Sims. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Bigger Millennials Podcast. 
Steve Sims, welcome back. Last episode, set the precedent. That was so much fun. <laughs> Grateful to have you here and can't wait to dive in, my friend. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Sims the sequel. <laughs> Sims the sequel, Sims part two. <laughs> so so this is, this is going to be fun because last time we covered all the ground, we have all the baseline of your past experiences. So we kind of get to dive right into the meat of things. And one of the things that I identified from both the last interview and also going through your content is that part of what allows you to create these incredible experiences for people is that you have this incredible ability to listen deep to what a person really needs and kind of go beyond the surface level of what someone may be presenting to you. And so I think this is super applicable for anyone listening to this that has clients and you obviously have a really unique perspective in doing this whole thing. So I would love to start by diving into a story that kind of illustrates your ability to listen and provide something that somebody really wants at a deep level. And a story that I kind of came across earlier on in my research was that um, you had somebody that wanted to meet Elton John and you kind of had this whole story of diving into and really picking up on why it was relevant to them. So we'd love for you to tell that story and share that insight. First of all, I want to call it out. Isn't it sad that today you make a big deal out of someone listening? Yeah, isn't yeah that, that is kind of sad. <laughs> isn't that just ridiculous? I'm, I'm, I'm on a podcast with you because my superhuman power is that I paid attention to listen to what the client was talking about. That's just screwed up on every kind of uh, it is. <laughs> uh, metrics. But yeah, let's let's break it down. So I've noticed that a lot of people, they're embarrassed. And we're in a humiliation society. We're in a gotcha society. You know, everyone is terrified as what they dressed up in as a, uh, a, a Halloween costume in 1997. And is there any pictures that are now going to come out to show that they're kind of like, oh my God, you're, you know, you're Asian hate because you dressed up like that or you did the, and we're in a gotcha society. We love to laugh at people. We even got programs like America's Funniest Videos and stuff like that, where we openly like to laugh at people tripping up, falling down and smacking themselves. So what's that done to us as people is it's restricted the amount that we want to be open. It's restricted how, I hate to use this word, vulnerable. In fact, I won't use the word vulnerable. How open we're willing to be about our cares, our dreams, our aspirations, what matters to us. We don't want to be that open for fear that someone's going to laugh at us. Now, I could say to you, hey, I would like to uh, drop a, a dunk on LeBron James. Now, I'm an overweight British guy. So the idea of you laughing at me about that dream, I'm not going to be too offended because it's a pretty ridiculous dream to have. But hey, ho, you know, maybe I do want to slam dunk one over him. But if I was to tell you something that I really wanted to do that meant a lot to me and you laughed, it would be a different reaction. So because everyone's got that fear in them, I noticed that my first job is not to listen to what they're saying but to listen to what it is they're actually trying to tell me, what they're trying to hint at, that body language, that tonality, all those kind of things. And the, the, the story goes that um, I, was, I was in Palm Beach. That was where our office was when we moved over from Switzerland. And a phone call came into the office. And this uh, one of my team answered it. And she put it through to my office and she said, hey, Steve, sorry to bother you. Now, I was working very early on in my relationship with Elton John. We worked there for, I think it was about eight years, uh, seven or eight years. We worked with his um, uh, brilliant Oscar party. Um, 
And so I would always control that list. You know, you've already gone over it before. First episode, anyone that hasn't listened to the first episode, go back. But anyone's job is to guard the front door. So if you've got a relationship, guard who you bring into it. Listen to the episode, you'll learn more on that. So um, I, I was very careful who I actually let into the Elton John Oscar party because I knew that they were, you know, they were showing up on behalf of me. And if they acted like a drunken bum, then it would reflect badly on me. So I was always very, very careful. So one of my team put it through and she said, I've got someone who wants to go to Elton John and wants to meet Elton John. Of course, everyone wants to meet Elton John and he doesn't meet a lot of people. You go to his party, but he doesn't meet a lot of people. Why should he? You know, fair, fair dues to the guy. But we can arrange it. So I said, okay. I said, what's the point? She said he wants to meet, but something's off. Can you take the phone call? So I'm like, all right. So I took the phone call and I went, hey, how you doing? This is Steve Sims. I believe you want to meet Elton John. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I do. And he was very brash. And again, I'm going to give you the, the an example or a bit more detail. Very brash New Yorker. Okay. He's like, yeah, I do. And I said, oh, that's great. You know, can you tell me? Why is it important to you? I always ask why. It's It's a beautiful word to use. Why, why, why all the time. So I said to him, you know, why is it important to you? And he said to me, and this is near verbatim, he turned around and he said, well, he's an icon, he's brilliant, he's well-known, he's famous, he's going to die soon, and I want to get an autograph and a picture with him before he does. That was it. I thought to myself, you want to get an autograph and a picture with someone because they're going to die soon. <laughs> that's that's kind of weird. And I'm like, oh, okay, then. Um, Anything else? Nope, nope, that's it. I went, fantastic, fantastic. Um, let me get back to you, see what I can do. And I hung up the phone. I didn't take his name. I didn't take his phone number down. I didn't take his email because the request was very superficial. It was obvious that he wanted to get a photograph and an autograph. I don't know how he was going to get a photograph and get him to sign it unless he had some kind of Polaroid <laughs> camera. But print out. Yeah, exactly. It was obvious that he wanted to get this to show off to somebody else. So there was no depth in it. There was no meaning behind it. There was no why behind it. It was a superficial, get a picture, shove it on my desk. Look at me. I'm important. So I ignored it. About a month later, and we're now we're now getting close to the actual party. And I'm at the I'm in the office again, and we get a phone call come through, and it was one of our team. And I had actually told, I talk over with my team conversations I had, because there's a lot of education you can gain from a good conversation and even more from a bad one. So I spoke about, hey, this was a superficial, how did I pick up on it? Blah, blah. And we had spoken about this character and this request. So then this phone call came in, a different member of my team picked it up, and this person, brash New Yorker, turned around and said, hey, I believe you're uh, part of Elton John's Oscar party. I want to go to Elton John's Oscar party, and I want to meet Elton John. And because of the conversation I'd had with the team, they're like, this is the same guy. So she put it through, Steve. I don't know if this is the same guy, but you mentioned he was a brash New Yorker. This guy's a brash New Yorker. He wanted a photograph with Elton John. This guy wants a photograph. And I'm like, all right, put him through to me. I'll tell him I can't do it or whatever, but I'll get rid of him. And he came through. Now, because I had spoken to the first guy, I realized he had a different accent. So mm. it wasn't the same guy. But I wondered, was it a mate of his that was trying to get me to do it 
because I wasn't responding to his buddy. So I thought, I'll play the game, you know. So I went, hey, how are you? He's like, hey, how you doing? Uh, yeah, I want to meet up with uh, um, Elton John. I believe you're part of the uh, Oscar party. I'd like to, to, to meet him. No photograph. Meet him. That's the first thing I picked up on. Oh, that's great. Now, the first thing you do is you marry the enthusiasm that they're giving you, and then you change it, okay? It's a classic Chris Boss, midnight DJ voice. You go, oh, that's fantastic. You want to meet up with Rich? Uh, you want to meet up with Elton John? That's great. Why? And you drop that why in there, thick and proud. And the guy went quiet. And he comes back on the phone, different tone, different temperature. And he went, I want to meet Elton John and I want to talk to him. He said, and I want to tell him about my dad. I want to say thank you to him. Because my dad used to take me to school, not my mum. It was always my dad. From my earliest memories of school, my dad would take me to school, pick me up and bring me home all the way through into high school. And in the first car we had, there was a cassette in there and it was jammed and it was uh, Elton John's greatest hits. And so he would play this all the way to school, all the way back, could never get the damn thing repaired. So it was always actually for years the same cassette and we would sing together all the way to school and all the way back. And then my dad got a new car and he thought it'd be funny because this one had a DVD player in it, you know, a CD (laughs) player. I mean, so he got Elton John's greatest hits and we would sing Elton John all the way to school and all the way back to school. And even into high school, I would get to, to school and he'd be singing his lungs out to Elton and I would jump out of the car and click slam the door so none of my mates could hear me. And then as I was walking to the car, you know, he would have Elton John Blair and I would quickly dive in. I'd have my face glued up against the window out of humiliation and embarrassment while he's singing his heart out to Rocket Man or something from Elton. He said, my dad did that all the time. I could have not have been happier when I got my heart, my car and I could actually drive myself to high school and not have him singing Elton John in the car with me. He said, now I'm in my 40s. i got kids. I'm married, and I'll be off on a, on a trip with a family, or I'll be heading for a business meeting. And my dad died many, many years ago. And the radio would be on, and all of a sudden, Elton John would come on. He said, and for the next three minutes, my dad is singing Elton John next to me. For random three minutes, every now and then, he brings my dad back to me. He said, I want to say thank you. So what I want to do, brings my dad back to me for random three minutes. I just want to say thanks. And that was it. So with that, we actually spoke to the Elton John camp. We told him about the story. We told him about he wanted to say thank you. He wasn't a, a groupie. He didn't want autographs. He didn't want T-shirt. He didn't want any of that shit. Just wanted to say thank you for bringing his dad back. Now, I introduced him to Elton at the Oscar party, and there's noise going on, and it's blaring, and it's a party. And they lean in, and he tells this story. And as the eyes start watering up on both of them, and they hug, I knew exactly what part of the story they were getting to. That guy gave me a why to make it happen. Had I listened to him and gone, Elton, Roger, Shake hands, done. Would have not satisfied what he really needed. I took the time to dare to ask the question, why 
to get to what the guy actually wanted, not what he was telling me. That was him. Oh, my God. <laughs> there's a reason why Steve Sims is a master storyteller. That was just brilliant. I would highly re- – I mean, there's just so many lessons imbued throughout that, just like the way you told the story and the tonality and all that kind of stuff. And I, I want to tie it back. And, again, if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to the first episode, we talked about how there's no passion, there's no point. And I immediately see the dovetail there that, like, that's that's essentially what you're – being an archaeologist for, right? Like you're, you're really just looking to hit that vein that uh, what that passion really is for them. And until you hit it, you really, you actually can't even do the magic that you can, you can do because you don't have a story that you can spin to the people that you want to bring into it. So that's where can you, where can you go? It's like someone saying, I want to go to France. Well, that's great. But whereabouts, you know, do you want to go South? Do you want to go to Paris? If you don't have a destination, you can't achieve anything. So too many people today, and that's another problem with our society. We're in a transactional society. You know, we speak to Alexa, to Siri, to Amazon. We spend so much time talking to transactional services that we go, I want this, and it's delivered. And then we go, oh, I don't like that. You know, you asked for it, you got what you asked for. You know, stop complaining. But the point is, we, if we're going to stay in business, We need to dare challenge why the request is there. Why are you asking for that car? Why is it now? Why do you want to move? I've got another story that I can tell you on the why, which makes it very easier in a business sense. Do do you mind? Please go for it. All right. So I was coaching a client that was a real estate agent, and she was really good, but she wasn't brilliant. And she was, you know, settling around smaller properties. And I ended up coaching her to get her outside of herself and get the clients that she wanted, not the ones that she was getting. And she phoned me up. We, it was ahead of our coaching call. And she she phoned me up on a panic. And she's like, hey, you know, I really want to talk to you. Something's going wrong. I really need to have a chat. I'm like, fine, let's do it. So we jumped on a call. And I said, what's the problem? What's got you so hot? And she said, I've been approached by this lady. She's well-known in our area. She's very wealthy, very successful, and she wants a house on this street. And she said, and I've shown her, it's not a very big street. I've shown her every house that was available for sale on that street. I've even knocked on other people's doors going, hey, would you be willing to sell? I've got a potential buyer for you. She said, so I went above and beyond to give her what she wanted. And I said to her, I said, no, you didn't. You went above and beyond to give her what she asked for. It may not have been what she wanted. So let's go back. Start me the conversation. Run it through with me. So she said, well, she reached out to me. She contacted me. And uh, she said, so the marketing's working. And she said, hey, I'm looking for this, this, this property on this street. And she said, I wanted three bedroom. I'd like a pool, but not necessary. But as long as it's got space for me to put a pool in this area. And, and I said to her, oh, that's great. And then I started kind of like going through the, the ML, MLS systems. I went, well, hang on a minute. You received an instruction. You didn't engage in a conversation. She was like, I missed out on that, didn't I? And I said, yes, you need to go back to her and say, hey, I apologize. And that's always hard for people to do. I apologize, but I did you a disservice. Do you know what I forgot to do? I forgot to ask you why. And why challenges people? I'll have people, for any of you listening, I'll have people that will text me or DM me, and they'll be like, hey, you're in Los Angeles. Let's get together for a beer. And I will respond with one word. Why? 
and it will set people off. I've had people go, oh, I heard you were cool. You know, you're a dick. I hate you. You're arrogant. And I'll get other people that go, good question. I'm working on this project and I'd like your feedback. And I'd be like, great. A beer's not the place for that. We should do it over here. So I want to know why. I'm 55 years old. I don't have a lot of hours left to waste. I want to make sure that everything I do, there's a purpose. So I constantly use that word, why? And I said to her, you're going to have to go back to her and strongly challenge her why she wants a property on that street. So she did. We set it up. We rehearsed it a few times. She reached out to her. I apologize. I've done you a disservice. Do you know, you gave me the request and I went straight on to try and action that as a transaction. I should not have done that. I missed out on the thing that I should have addressed. And that is why, why that street? And the woman did actually go quiet and came back to her and said, look, I didn't have money as a kid. We lived on the outskirts of town. And my mum, when we would travel into school to get me clothes or when we would go to the mall or when we would go shopping, we would make a detour down this road because this road, this was where all the successful people lived. This was the it street of our area. And my mum would go for a 30-minute detour just to be able to drive down this street and go, oh, this is where I would live. I want to conclude that. I want to be able to arrive where she wanted to live. Now, let's be blunt, especially those that are realtors out there. There are areas of town that 30 years ago you wouldn't walk through at night that are now the hot areas <laughs> that you can't afford to move into. I lived in a shitty end of town with a lot of print press mills and factories. These are $2 million lofts now. I couldn't afford to live there for tried. So she was looking to arrive in the itch street but over those 20 plus years, the it street had actually moved. Once she knew the why was that she wanted to move into a, an area that her mum could recognize as arriving, she was able to go, well, actually, that is a beautiful street. But, you know, it's kind of moved up the hill a bit now. Mm. This is the area where people are really trying to get to. First house she showed her in that area, she purchased because she dared to ask why. She'd focused on the why to be able to get the destination and not on the transactional statement. Mm. So beautiful. And I thank you for that additional story to really illustrate the point. I think it's super powerful. I wanted to zoom in on one small thing that you were talking about when people are texting you and they say, hey, I want to grab a beer. And you ask why. One thing that I kind of noted on that, and I would love to hear you expand on this, is like it seems to me that's like your filter. Like if somebody texts you why and they, they get triggered by it, it's obviously a way to clear it up. Like you're not trying to make it sound super elaborate or like it's just very clear and to the point and it'll trigger some people, but for the right people, it'll make them go through. Is that kind of the intention? And if so, do you have any other kind of ways that you filter and kind of make sure that you have the right velvet rope <laughs> in front of all components of your life? Well, again, it goes back to our first episode. Um I, I protect my door. As a doorman, I knew that if I let someone that was slightly drunk into the club, half an hour later, I would be carrying them out by that throat. So I didn't want to be doing that. So I always protected my front door. If I could check just on that front door, I would remove 99% of the problems inside. So now, if I protect my life like a doorman, like you should, you remove 99% of the problems inside. I don't want to drive down and have a beer with an arsehole. 
You know, I would rather be able to go, why have them get upset, have them running off to the hills thinking that I'm a prick than, than kind of wasting my time. So I have that as a filter. And funny enough, it shouldn't really be a filter, should it? You know, if I ask no. you why, <laughs> you know, hey, why do you want me on your podcast? Well, because it will help you. It's a question. It's a question. But it's amazing how many people get offended by it. So I'm at an age, I'm at a position, I'm at a brand where I'm not really concerning myself with the flakes and floaters of the planet. I want to get in with people that want to create impact, want to disrupt their industry, want to gain authority, want to grow their credibility, constant students. Those are the people that I want to hang around with. And I'll use many filters. I'll use humor. Um, I will use um, uh, location. I'll use anything I can just to get a filter because um, we share a friend, Cameron Harold. Cameron Harold says you can't go wrong when you match cultures. And I want to know, do you share the same culture and belief as I do? We may be different financial status. We may be different uh, religions. We may be different uh, um, locations in the planet. But if we share the same mutual cultural belief of advancement, growth, impact, anything else can just be adopted or purchased. You know, so I really try to surround myself with people that I get on with. And if I, I, I have people that I've done a podcast with before and they've gone, hey, we should get you on a number two. And I'll be like, nope, one hit wonder. That was it. Thank you very much. You know, because I just don't want to go again. Um, but so I like to surround myself with people that quite simply, if I was walking down the street, I'd want to have a coffee with. Hmm. Yeah, do you have another thing for that called the chug test? So first of all, I, I appreciate that. I'm glad that you're back here. And Cameron is brilliant. I had a chance to kind of bump shoulders with him in Genius. And for anybody that hasn't explored some of Cameron Harold's work, he's got a whole bunch of really good books. He got Vivid Vision and I think Meeting Suck. And he was the, C, uh, the COO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. So he's got lots of really cool stuff there. And I so I, I love all everything that you said there about filters. I think everybody, that's a huge takeaway for you. It's like, what are the gateways that you can put up in your personal life and in your business life to make sure that you're filtering the right opportunities through. So I want to go a little bit deeper on developing the relationship with people because it seems like you have this ability to identify people's why, then you can deliver on these experiences, but there are other ways that you've worked to develop relationships with people. And at the end of the last podcast episode, I left people on a cliffhanger. So I wanted to make sure I kind of pulled that back in, but you talked about the importance of being unpolished as uh, something that you do a lot. And one of the things that, and the examples that you gave in your book on this was sending someone half of a Porsche magazine. So I'd love for you to tell a little bit about how you leverage the unpolished principle to develop further relationships with people. Well, ugly has impact. It's as simple <laughs> as that. You know, you flick through a magazine and they've tried changing it now to show real people. But in the good old days of like a, a Cosmopolitan or Vogue magazine, they'd have a model walking down the beach and then they would Photoshop her slimmer and taller. And they would, her legs would basically be seven foot tall. Okay. But the pictures were so edited and so perfect and the sky so blue and not a ripple on the ocean that we looked past it because we know inherently deep inside perfection doesn't exist. It does not exist. Okay. I've often said that perfection is like a unicorn with blue testicles. It doesn't <laughs> exist. Okay. So what I like to do is I like to give people ugly. So I would literally go to a meeting or want to go to a meeting and I would do a little bit of research on the guy. And you mentioned about the magazine. I found out this guy was into vintage 
Porsches. So I went to the local um, magazine store and I bought a magazine on vintage porch. And in the middle of it was like this poster that you could pull out. And what I did was I ripped half of the poster out. I bought the magazine first. I ripped half of it out and sent it to him and said, I know you love vintage Porsches. I'll give you the other half of the picture when we have our meeting. (laughs) Okay. So it showed I paid attention to the fact that he loved cars. Okay. Now what I did was I actually showed up with the magazine, opened it up, gave it to him. He's got two halves of a torn up, you know, Porsche. He can't use that. <laughs> but I'd actually purchased a second magazine when there you go. There's the unmessed round with copy. But I would always do those things. You know, another thing that I would often do is every time I'm out at a bar, you get the bar tab, and you can do this in restaurants as well. You can do this in Denny's, McDonald's, anywhere you like. It was just a bit cooler in a bar. But I would get to travel around the planet. So the bar tabs would be in like Japanese, Spanish, Italian. And I would get the bar tab and it would always only ever show the last four digits of your credit card. So it's not giving any information away. On the back of this, I would write on it, hey, Brandon, um, I had a few whiskeys tonight. A couple of them I was thinking about you. When should we get together? Send me a text. And then quite simply, I would stick that in an envelope. And normally, I would stick it in an envelope of a hotel that I was currently staying at. So I'm not paying for the bar tab uh, receipt. I'm not paying for the uh, uh, stationery. All I've got to do is wait until I get back, stick a stamp on it, and it's cost me whatever a stamp costs. Um, And they would get this letter, and I'd open up, and there'd be a bar tab, you know, with all of these drinks, and then that note on the back. It's impactful guerrilla ugly marketing. But you know, how many times are people drunk in a bar? How many people have got bar tabs? How many people have been in a hotel and seen stationery? See, this is all relatable. You know what that stuff looks like. So I've always focused, how can I do things that are unpolished that you would relate to because you've seen it, experienced it in your life that would just give a creative twist. Now, bear in mind, Everything I've just told you about, you've smiled, okay? Isn't that the only thing we're trying to do with a client or prospect? Try to get a reaction out of them and a positive one? Now, everyone says that, you know, haters love hate, okay? People love to smile. People love to be engaged in positive conversation. And especially in in a world like today, where it's got a lot of negativity, People want to get around the campfire and tell bad jokes, okay? If you give them the opportunity to show that, hey, I want to make you smile, I want to create a good positive trigger in you, then they're going to want you in their life because, boy, do we need it more than we ever have done today. Yeah, and it makes it so, so human. And to tie into some, like, fundamental copywriting principles, like, imagine – uh, this is a super nerdy way of putting it, but like an AB split test between like a normal thank you note and a bar tab, like they're going to read the bar tab and they can picture Steve sitting in a bar in Japan, having some whiskeys. And like, they, like just because of the context and the way that you delivered it to them, they can visualize and they're a part of the experience. It's almost like they saw Steve drinking the whiskeys <laughs> and putting, putting their name on it. And so like that, that puts people, drops them into a story and it just makes such a beautiful experience. So thank you for sharing that. There's one, one more really quick one actually on this topic it has to do with sky malls i think there's a, a third one that somebody could toss in too. give the sky mall hack too because this is a good one 
I I can't because they don't do Sky Mall now. Oh, do they not? I, oh man, no, but they do. <laughs> they do other magazines. But for any of you out there that are older than the age of ten, you'll remember that there used to be these little magazines in aircrafts where they used to sell all the stupidest shit in the planet. And it'd be things like, you know, a, a dolphin post box and a, you know, a, a shiny watch by Giorgio Franco Damali or some a made up name. And they're hoping that you've had too many drinks on that flight that you actually buy it. <laughs> so what I would do was I would get the Sky Mall. And bear in mind, this was in a time when you had no Internet on the planes. And that's now you have Internet on long distance planes, you know, in the last few years. But I would literally come home. And on the plane traveling overseas, I would get a Sky Mall and a Sharpie. And I would get on that Sharpie. I'd pull out a page out of Sky Mall. And I would just sharp Sharpie on it. Hey, Cameron, I thought this Manatee post box would look great on your new house. Now, of course, it doesn't. But then <laughs> I would just I would just like lay it to one side. So by the end of the journey, and people would see me doing this as they were sat next to me, I'd have all of these pages where I'd sharpied on them, and then I would get home with those pages, stick them on the desk, and my son, I love child labor, my son would (laughs) write the address and fold them and send them off. And all of a sudden, my clients are getting this ripped up um, page out of a Sky Mall. And I went to, um, I mentioned Japan. I went to Japan, I think it was like three years ago, and I collected all the in-flight magazines. And I apologize, but... I can't speak Japanese, okay? So what I did was I would then Sharpie on these on these pages going, I don't know what this said, but I think it was really good, Steve. And I would just send it. And so it's something as stupid as that. And they'll get there. And I had, a, I had a client one day, and he said to me, you know, I've been with you for like seven years. He said, and over those years, I've got some utter shit in the post. He said, it's the most pathetic, worthless crap that you've sent me from around the world from Sky Mall to Bar Tabs. He said, don't stop. And that was it. And I was like, I was like, he hates it. He hates it. And then he was like, don't stop. And I was like, well, that's weird. And then I had another client of mine this year, actually. He confronted me at a speakeasy. He confronted me at the last speakeasy because all of my people that come to speakeasies, I, I sometimes send them stuff. Not all the time, but sometimes. And he came up to me because he's been a client of mine for like about two and a half, three years now. And he came up to me and he went, and people post this. People will get some stupid letter from me or a box that I've stamped my face all over. And they'll post it up on social. Okay. And he saw it and he went, how come I've never got anything? And he was offended that he hadn't got this this crap and so i said to him i went dude i've been sending it to you for like two and a half years you know and it turned out that he had his credit card registered at like his attorneys or something like that so every time i've been sending something he's been ended up at his attorneys and never with him so he actually complained that he wasn't getting this crap so that's so funny. Yeah. I, I love this. I love this direct mail stuff. I was watching uh, one of Joe Polish's videos he did with Dean Jackson a long time ago. And, and something that he said, I decided to implement and I put my own twist on it. But he was talking about sending a direct mail piece in like micro font. 
like really small font and including a magnifying glass with it so that like whoever got it had to like sort through the stupid thing. And so I, for lots of times for thank you gifts for podcasts, uh, I guess I, I, I came up with this. It's probably too elaborate. It's, it's probably too polished, but I came up with this. Um, there's a, a generator where you can type, I could type in thank you, Steve, or something like that on it. And it comes up with like a, a grid. I don't know if you can picture it. It's like one of those like um, multicolored grids where you can't see anything inside of it. It's like a hidden message. Okay. And so I send them, I send them a 3D glasses with it. And I say like, hint, use the red side. And they have to put on 3D glasses in order to read that it says, thanks, Steve Sims or something like that. Um, but like <laughs> those, I love, I love slowing down the process too. And like the, the human component of it is just so cool. And so I, I love that you can add that on top of all the stuff that you're doing. Um, I, I did, hang on. Okay, go ahead, go for it, go for it. You just dropped gold. And people need to make sure they didn't overlook it. Again, just like you were, you know, wistfully going on about how good I was at the beginning of this because I was thinking, you just say you just stated clearly the human element. <laughs> and today people are missing out on the human element. And if you can show them something that's badly spelt, imperfect, not folded so tightly that you could do open heart surgery with the crease. Mm -hmm. Something that's obviously been written <laughs> and folded by a human being. That's what people want today. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool that we're, we're heading back to that. I mean, it's just like, I think people got so excited about all the shit that we can do with tracking, but at the end of the day, I mean, if I had a, 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 a hand, handwritten thing from Steve Sin from a bar in Japan, I'd probably put that on my wall. I think that's, that's hilarious. I'm pretty sure you probably have lots of clients that do that. We, so. we've, I've actually been into rooms and I've had people actually. <laughs> I, sent, I sent someone a, um, a one-cent check once. I don't know what it was for. Still don't know. That's awesome. I sent him, I, I really sent him a one-cent check. You know, he said something to me, and I think I said to him, that was so valuable to me, I needed to send you a check. <laughs> and he was like one cent um and he framed it and i got to his office one day and we were chatting away and i went and it was like two years we're like have you just found that and he's like oh no i've had that i've had that since you sent it he said i framed it he said it was just so funny and stupid he said it's been on my desk ever since steve sims one cent check <laughs> that's so funny okay so i want to come okay so obviously you have you create these incredible experiences for people. You develop the relationship even further by creating experiences like this. Um, and I don't know if this is true anymore. I know you alluded to this in the past when you were writing a new book, but I, I listened to an interview that you did with Jay Abraham. And, and when you were with Jay, you were talking about writing a second book. So I don't yeah. know if this is true anymore, but you were talking about, at least in this interview with, with Jay, that you one of the things that you want to include is say, how to get a yes that benefits both parties. And so yeah. how can you take two people that have never spoken with each other and actually create relationships with them? So like, obviously, you've done all this work. You've developed the relationships with these people. You've given them experiences. You've sent them the stuff. You've had conversations. You've so, so the, the next component of that is the, like the matchmaking component. So I would love for you to share some of your insights on how you're able to kind of make magic happen between two people that maybe don't have a relationship, but you're the intermediary. Well, again, it isn't magic. It's, it's thought and discipline. You see, mm. let's, let's pick on you, all right? We know each other. You know, we're connected through friends. We're connected through networks. We know each other, okay? But let's say, for argument's sake, I didn't know you. And I came up to you and I could come up to you very easily. I can find out where you live, what you eat, what your hobbies are, you know, who you hang out with by just cyber stalking you. 
Mm-hmm. It's not that hard. I can go onto social. I can go onto the internet. I can go into images. I can find out stuff about you. And I suddenly find out you're a young lad with an incredibly powerful podcast and it's growing. Okay. And I want to be on it. Now, the one thing that you need to understand and to validate in your head is that every time someone connects or contacts somebody else, that other person knows that person wants something. If I phone you at eight o'clock tonight, I go, Brandon, it's Steve Sims. You can be 100% sure Steve's called me, therefore Steve wants something. He may want just a chat. He may want some advice on podcasting, on hair products, whatever. You know, <laughs> he, he he's going to want something. It's not negatively a, a bad thing, but because Steve's instigated the call, he wants something. Okay, so now that we've got that clarified, but how about if I phone Joe and say, hey, Brandon, hey, sorry for bothering you this evening, but I've been looking at your podcast and it's phenomenal. I've seen the guests that you've been getting and I've got two or three friends of mine that I think would be great for you, but also would allow them to distribute your content to their following, which would add up about another 1.5 mil listeners. Would that be of interest to you? Yes. (laughs) Now what I've done is you knew, you knew I wanted something. But I very quickly flipped the script and it's now all about you. Now, you know I'm going to come back to you and say, oh, by the way, also I was hoping to get onto your show. You know, can we make that happen? You now sitting there going, well, Steve is now the ticket to get me these 1.5 million listeners and those three superstar people. So I've done that. I've gone into the conversation and I'll give you a beautiful one that went horribly badly. Well, horribly, horribly badly. Well, so there was a guy that I wanted to work with in Silicon Valley. Now the whole point about my business in the concierge element was really just to get into rooms with powerful people. So I would look up who's powerful, who's creating impact, who's doing stuff. And I've had Richard Branson. I've had uh, uh, Sorrell John, Elon Musk, Pia Diamandis. I've had phenomenal people. Joe Polish was the same that I wanted to get in the rooms of. And so there was this guy that was in the Silicon Valley, big, big, big venture capitalist guy, very successful. Basically, if he touched it, it did well from the outside. That's what it looked like. And I wanted to chat with him. So I knew by stalking what galas he went to. So I bought a ticket for this gala and I did some Googling on him and I found out six, eight months ago, he was working on this project. So I did a bit of digging into this project and I found just from the offset, two things that I would have changed about how we presented it digitally, you know, online. Now people don't like twos. People like threes and fives. I can give you the three ways to lose weight. Funny enough, sounds better than I can give you the two ways. Mm-hmm. People love threes and fives. Simple as that. So I had two. I had to come up with a third one so I could give him the three ways that he could do better. It was weak. The third one, ah, it was crap. I was grabbing for straws, but I had, had to give him three. So I turned up at this gala. And I saw him with his cronies. He had about five or six guys around him. And I walked up to him 
And listen to this. This is very important. I said to him, hey, how you doing? My name's Steve Sims. Listen to this bit. You don't know me. That's very important. Anyone that's got any kind of profile, and the bigger the superstar, the bigger the profile, the bigger the rock star, whoever they are, as soon as they become more and more famous, when you walk up to them, you go, hey, Brandon, how you doing? Just because they've listened to you every week for years, they feel as though they know you and you have not a clue who this person is. So you're stood there going, do I know this person? Is it a friend of a friend? Have I dated them? You know, am I in business <laughs> with them? Yo, you don't know any of this stuff. You're now getting brain freeze. You're getting stressed because this person hasn't done the simplest thing by going, hey, Brandon, hey, you don't know me. Love the podcast. Yeah, you this- can't even listen to them. You can't listen to them if you're processing all that stuff. Bingo. That's a massive point there. But if you let them off the hook and say, you don't know me, they relax. Okay. Now the next question is, well, what does he want? Because again, just like the phone call, you've walked up to me. You obviously want something. Is it a photograph? Do you want me to endorse your product? Do you want me to, what do you want? And so what do you do? You flip the script. And I went, Hey, how you doing? My name's Steve Sims. You don't know me. But I was interested in that project that you were doing six months ago. And I noticed three things that you could change that I feel would benefit you within your marketing and branding of this. Would that be of interest to you? I'm showing that I've done work on him to help him. So he looked at me and he looked at his cronies and he went, go on then. So I went, Great, thank you. Well, I noticed you were doing this. Number one, blah, 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 blah. I noticed it could lead you into this problem and you're building up a ceiling that shouldn't be there. If you just change this little bit of format here and that bit of copy, you remove that ceiling for future projects. You know, it's like people saying, hey, Nike, the greatest shoe company in the planet. Well, then that stops them from doing apparel. So, you know, I I noticed something that created a ceiling to get rid of. He liked that. He went, all right. I gave him the second thing. He was like, okay. I gave him the third thing that albeit was quite weak. I don't know, color codes or something. Like, it, was, it was a stab in the dark, but I was trying <laughs> to give him three things. And he looked and he pondered and he looked at the guy next to him and he started laughing. And then all of his tribe that were around him started laughing as well. So I've got this guy that I have just given him the three reasons and the three solutions, and he's in front of me laughing at me. Now, I'm a big, ugly fella. I don't like people laughing at me too much, but hey-ho, maybe I've done something wrong. And I'm stood there thinking, I wonder what I did wrong in this conversation because all the education comes from when things go wrong, not when they go right. So I'm trying to see a benefit out of this grown ass man with all of his lackeys around him, laughing at me in a gala and people are starting to look at me. They know who he is and he's he's laughing laughing at me. Yeah. (laughs) So I went, all right, I lost out on this one. And I turned away. I went to walk away. And as I went to walk away, he put his hand on my shoulder. So not only is he laughing at me, now he's touched me. I knew this was going to go bad for him real quick if something didn't happen as a positive. Because I'm not happy with this now. I'm starting to get a bit irritated. 
Uh, Steve does some kickboxing and stuff on the side too. So we got, we got, we got it. <laughs> that, I wasn't, that is yeah. an image there. <laughs> I, I wasn't too happy about this. So I turned sideways at him and gave him a little bit of a glare. And he went, I'm, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. I was like, okay. He said, you don't know much about me. You probably know even less about that project because we don't release a lot of information on that project. But one thing you definitely don't know is that I actually shut that project down six months ago. He said, but without you knowing that, your number one and number two solution would have stopped me having to have shut that company no down. <laughs> he said, and these pricks next to me couldn't even discover that. And they've been working for now. All of a sudden they shut up, you know, because that he went, you meet me in a gala and give me the two things that could have kept me in business. He said, I never go back to a closed company. I just don't. He said, but I do get involved in a lot of companies. Would you be open to being on retainer and have me send you projects every now and then? And I've been with the guy for five years. I got one about a week ago, you know, because he saw me as a solution to problems. You know, I'm not trained in this. I'm not educated in this. But sometimes that overview, when you're not looking, you know, from the picture, you're looking over the picture, you know, it gives you the best view. And so now because of that, as I say, it went horribly badly well. The outcome was that I think he fired half of the people behind him. They're not laughing anymore. And he actually has hired me for five years running to look over his projects. Mm. Man, this overlaps with so many of the things that I that I actually pulled from Chris Voss, a whole bunch of other places as well. But it's so, so good. And I, you know, talk about I talk about this in email when reaching out to people. It's like you have to have the hook, the thing that actually relates to the person, the thing that can't be copy and pasted to a bajillion people. You know, hey, Steve, I listened to episode 47 of your podcast. Loved when you talk about XYZ. Thank you so much for sharing that. It changed my life because of blah. Besides wanting to share that with you, I have a quick question. I came up with three specific things, blah, blah. Would you be opposed to me sending you a Google Doc with it to check out? You know, it's like it's building the irresistible offer. It's building the connection and then allowing them a really easy way to step into your world. So absolutely love that. And that can be applied in, in many contexts. But I'm absolutely borrowing the you don't know me part for live oh, components. That's so, yeah, so good. Absolutely. Okay. So we have, we have, again, it's just, Steve, I think you hold the world record in my brain for like a podcast that flies the fastest. So like, I don't know, I don't know how our time is coming up again, but I have, I have one more thing that would hey. be a fun thing to get before we, we, we close up here. Um, and then, I mean, we, we can go from there, but, but basically I want to take the person that's listening with us right now on a little bit of a journey. So I'm going to, I'm going to attempt right now to kind of set, set the stage for you listening right now, what's about to happen. So you went to stevedsims.com or Steve, is it, is that the site? Steve, Steve D. Sims.com. Do not okay. forget the D and there's only one M in Sims. Okay, good. Okay. So you go to stevedsims.com. You find that Steve does these things called the speakeasy. There's not that much information <laughs> out there. And you just know that you've, you've heard Steve on this podcast. You know, he's, a, he's, he's got some crazy stuff going on. So you, you spend two grand, you say, I'm going to show up to this thing. And um, you don't really know what's going to happen. And so uh, at this particular event you're at, Steve sends you some information. He says, I want you to meet me at the north door of the Atlantis Hell Hotel in Reno, Nevada. You show up, you show up with a group of other people that are equally as clueless as what's going on. What happens next, Steve? 
So someone's told you then. So in the I pick him up in this uh, in this bus, and I took him for a private tour of Elon Musk's Gigafactory in Reno. So they get a private tour of this Gigafactory, learning about um, futurists, learning about new technology, learning about how to think differently, think to the future. And it's the newest industry, solar um, self-standing. And this whole building is is self-sustainable in the middle of nowhere in Reno. So we took them there because it's the newest industry in the planet, we then had lunch there. We get back in the bus. And then in the afternoon, I took them to the Bunny Ranch, which is the oldest industry in the world. So in one day, they got the newest and the oldest. And in the afternoon, we talked about communication in a bottle. And uh, it was it was quite, in, well, not quite interesting. It was compelling to hear about body language and and what people are actually after and selling on a tease. It was phenomenal, the education we got. I actually think the Bunny Ranch was more interesting than the uh, uh, than the Gigafactory. Okay, well, hold um, on. I'm going pa- to pause you for a second. So take us. So we just finished lunch. We just had we had an incredible lunch. We get on a bus. We pull up next to the brothel. Yes. What, what's going on inside of the bus right now, Steve? <laughs> what, what are we experiencing? <laughs> so 60, the- <laughs> 60% of the bus... Were, were females all right so as we're as we're going along there's banter and there's chatting and you know people are talking and there's a whole buzz and then it turns the corner bunny ranch the oldest bottle in america um and the bus goes quiet <laughs> and the bus and this friend of mine nick he leans over to me and it's funny because I'm at the front of the bus and he leans over and he taps me on the leg and he looks behind and he went, Steve, um, you've done some risky stuff in your life. He said, this is either going to go real well or real south fast. He went, it'll be interesting to see. And he leans back in his chair and I'm thinking, shit, <laughs> you know, what's going to So then we get out, we get out of the bus and everyone's quiet everyone's quiet and air force amy um jumps and you've got to google this woman she did a hbo series um air force amy jumps out of the front door going hey welcome to our little brothel come on in and meet the girls and there's all sex toys in there and there's photographs in there and they took us for a tour of the brothel all the different themed bedrooms and the different apparatus and shapes and what they did and what and it was quiet and i'm thinking crap they they're not appreciating this i've taken people <laughs> that won't even watch maybe a little bit of sexiness on the tv and I'm t- i've taken them to a bottle with with prostitutes you're like i um, found the line here it is <laughs> I, I, I found the line and i left it 10 minutes ago you know it was one of those kind of moments and then all of a sudden everyone started relating with each other and everyone started talking with each other, and it was phenomenal. And one of the girls turned around and said, I've had a client for three years, and I've had sex with him three times. And they were like, how often do you meet him? Once a month. And they're like, hang on a minute. Doesn't that defeat the point? You know, you, you come to a prostitute for sex. And they went, maybe you would have. But now, because men are so frightened to engage a lady in a conversation, you actually come to a brothel to give you permission to connect with someone. 
She said, you know, Bothells have now become the place. She said, I've got a client. We'll turn up. We'll take one of the rooms, put the telly on, watch the game and order the pizza. Because he doesn't have the ability or the confidence to walk up to a bar to talk to a girl now. But he comes here. And so, and then it was talking about body language. And, and it really was amazing. And the funny thing was, I thought I was, I honestly thought I'd gone too far. I thought I'd gone too far. And we never repeat the speakeasy. So don't worry about it. I'm not going to take anyone to the bunny ranch again. But it was so powerful and so impactful to talk about eye contact and human reaction, connectivity, where it's going wrong. And at grassroots level, a man and a woman and the fear of connecting and just being able to hug and talk and make eye contact that a lot of people actually came out of that going, that was incredible. That was that was the highlight, not the Gigafactory, hanging out in a bottle for the afternoon. It was now I will tell you, there were a couple of people there. They weren't so impressed. Um but most, I would say 85% of the people there thought that was the highlight. Well, I mean, I, I, if I picked up on a theme throughout this part too, it's like we started talking about the story about Elton John and you kind of made fun of me for asking in the beginning, like, wow, it's incredible that we forgot how to listen. And, you know, yeah. and, and like, that's a similar thing that we just arrived on here. It's like, holy shit, we've lost the ability to just have a fucking conversation with someone, you know, it's yep. pretty ridiculous. So um, kind of expanding this world a little bit on you creating these incredible events for people. I'm really curious, like you attend lots of events that are not yours as well. So mm-hmm. what do you see people dropping the ball on when you attend events? And what are some of the elements that you specifically look to include in yours to make sure that it's something that they never forget? Great, great. That's a brilliant question. So let's help people. Um, forget the stage. Okay, everyone looks at an event and that focuses on who is on the stage. I've got Damon John. I've got Jay Abraham. I've got Jeff, Jesse Edsel. I've got Brandon. You know, I've got these people on stage. We have never, ever, ever told anyone who's coming on our stage. Never. Because what we do is we focus on what is the problem or what do they need? So we literally contact people. Hey, I'm doing an event in two weeks. I'm not. I'm making it up. I'm doing an event in two weeks' time. You know, if you want to attend that event, what would you need to get out of it for that event to be a win? Well, I'd need to grow my community. I've got this problem with marketing. I don't know how to do this. I need to do TikTok videos. God knows how to bloody do TikTok videos. All of these kind of questions. And then when I know what the problems are, that is the time that I select who's going to come on stage. So when you turn up, you don't know who's going to be there. Someone jumps up on stage and says, hey, let's talk about TikTok. And you sit there going, jeepers, that's that's insane. I've got a problem with TikTok. And I've had people come up to me going, do you know, it's funny. I, I, ha- I have that problem. And that guy just solved it. And I've got 10 notes now. I've already taken a photograph and, and that'd be fixed by the time I get back. You know, it's amazing that I've got my problem solved. And they forget the fact that I started by asking them, what's your problem? So anyone doing an event out there, forget the stage. The stage is actually the weakest element of your event. If everyone is turning up just because you've got X, Y, Z up on there, it's the wrong reason. Okay? Focus on what are the reasons people come to an event to have interaction, to be in a room with like-minded people, to be able to share visions and ideas without being laughed at, 
to build up a resource, a network. That's the main reason. I go to Joe Polish's event. I love Joe. Dysfunctional, weird character. Really loved the guy. And I went to his event a few years ago, and I don't advise anyone to do this. <laughs> um, but I went and had breakfast. And at the breakfast, I bumped into a bunch of people. We left breakfast late. The event had already started. We got to the uh, coffee bar just outside the room. Few more people I met. I didn't set foot in the event until the afternoon because I was meeting and bumping into people. And then there was a coffee break and a lot of people came out and then we started to, it was the network and the family. And I was meeting people that I hadn't met for you know the, a year or two prior. So the point of an event is never the stage. I don't care who's up there. I care about the disruption that we can create from the network we build into. Mm. That should be the focus of your event. Your event should always be a community. One person turns up and 200 people leave as one unit. That's the way it should be viewed. Mm. Mm. Okay. One of the elements that I picked up on in this is like, I, I mean, I, I just sense that you kind of put people on a little bit of a roller coaster. So I don't know if this is an element that's through everything, but obviously another copyrighted thing. It's like you created contrast, right? Like you created contrast with a Tesla factory and then contrast with the brothel. So like, is that another element that you look to create as well as kind of like a roller coaster of emotions for people? Yeah. And even if you're in an event um, and, and you're not actually leaving to one of our field trips, because COVID's made doing our field trips very, very hard. And we've done some phenomenal field trips, but even in the event, I will put them through exercises that make them uncomfortable. And now suddenly go, I don't like this. And then they look around everyone and everyone's in the same position. And all of a sudden there's a unified relatability that this is making everyone feel uncomfortable. This is where we can grow from it. And it's, I really try to create as many positive pattern interrupts as possible in order for you to be receptive to that growth and the impact and exposed one little thing that we did on the last one. And you can try this with your own. You can steal my shit. I don't care. But everyone that turned up at my last speakeasy in Austin, we went onto LinkedIn. We took that photograph and that bio, and we put it on a sheet. And as you know from Joe Polish, when you go to a, a Genius Network event, there'd be a directory of people in there, won't they? And they'll go, oh, you know, please let us have your bio. Please let us have your contact. I didn't ask. I just went onto one of the world's largest social platforms and grabbed it. And then what I did was I had random people stand up in my room and introduce me to people in that room based on their bio. And people mm -hmm. were like, oh, my photograph, it's a horrible photograph. And there was one guy there. I'm sorry, Michael. <laughs> he only had the word founder. And so the guy went, uh, Michael, founder. And I was like, what off? I don't know. And, you know, so what does he do? I don't know. Is he married? Oh, I don't know. Does he have a podcast? I don't know. Is he a speaker? I don't know. And so then we turned around and showed that quite simply, everyone is out there looking at you online before they've made the decision to have a conversation with you. If you show up bad online, they're not getting the conversation. And he's like, oh, my God, I never thought. And I said to him, don't worry about it. This room is only 45 people and the 17 million people that are members of LinkedIn that have seen how bad you are.
So <laughs> we put them in those kind of situations. And then what we do is we walk through how to do a good bio, how to do a good picture, how to do a good introduction and layout. So we went, so we went through the solution, but the first thing we did we got a lot of people. And of course, as we're introducing different people, everyone flicking through to try and find themselves and going, oh my God, I hate that picture. You were the one to put it up, not me. You picked that. You picked that statement. You couldn't even spell it right. That's all on you. So that's the kind of things that we do for people. Mm. Yeah, I love the fact that like, and you have to be willing to create a safe environment for people to feel uncomfortable, right? Like it's not just oh, yeah. tossing them into the fire. It's like, it's like there's a whole component and magic that goes into that as well. So uh, this, this thought kind of comes from actually what you were sharing about before about talking to them ahead of time and figuring out what their problems are. And and this is another thing that you talk about, and maybe we can kind of wrap up on this, if this is a a good place to end, but like you talk about um, how lots of people solve surface level problems, right? But like, if you are constantly just solving surface level problems without looking a layer deeper and finding out why the problem is there in the first place, you run into some issues. And um, I, I, hopefully I can tie this incorrectly, but you, you, had, you had done an event with Elon Musk in Hawthorne, if I, saw, if I did this correctly, and you kind of learned some of these elements from Elon. So I'd love for you to kind of share your experience um, with that. And I think you were kind of introducing some people to Elon as well when that kind of insight oh, came through. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, we were walking through Hawthorne SpaceX and I had two of my clients with me. And one of my clients was just happy to be walking through Hawthorne with Elon. You know, he didn't say anything. He didn't care. He was just like a pig in shit. He was just happy. And my other client wouldn't shut up. He was like a little schoolgirl at a Justin Bieber concert. He was like, oh, so Elon, what about this? And he was just rabbiting on. And this was way back before NASA got involved with Elon. And uh, NASA was publicly humiliating him, going, there's no place in space for civilians. You know, leave it to the profession. They were, they were being nasty. You can look back and see how rude NASA was being on SpaceX. And let's be blunt, it's apparently a joint project now. Let's be serious. That's 90% Elon. You know, NASA stuck a badge on the side and getting 50% of the glory. Um, but... Uh, my client turned around and said, how do you feel about NASA publicly humiliating you about getting into the space, space trade and industry? And Elon just turned around. He said, um, just remember, they always laugh at you just before they applaud. And that was it. That was all he said. And at the moment, a lot of people are scared to be laughed at. If you can control the room, and I openly say in my room, we are going to ridicule you. We are going to annihilate you. We are going to get you uncomfortable. We're going to laugh at you. But when we go outside that door, we're a joint force. And if anyone laughs at you, you've got backup. So that only happens in here. So we publicly give people a place where they can be that open to be laughed at with kind of like that is so ridiculous, you're going to achieve it. Go forth and do it. Yeah, love that, and I, I love the insight of of you know people people always laughing at you, and it, it just ties everything full circle with the very first question we talked about. Is like people are so afraid of that, and that is actually what are, is leaving people's ability. Um, okay, so we we have n- nine more minutes left to schedule. I have uh, this is a quick one, and then we can kind of I, I feel like I keep saying we'll wrap things up, but um, <laughs> really really appreciate your time here. One of the things we, we talked actually in the first interview, we talked about how one of your best experiences was the 25th wedding anniversary that you gave for someone, and you kind of made it on a very cheap experience where 
where uh, it was only like fifteen or seventeen hundred dollars, even though you had been invoicing mm. them for a lot more money. Um, and one of the things that you say in your book is one of the best things in the world. Best things in the world come in small prices, 20, 50, or way under $100. And so I was curious if you could really quickly share, because I think this is really applicable for everyone, that you don't have to do crazy Steve Sim stuff, even though we talked about you know some things where you can rip something out of a magazine and send it to someone. Um, but but there are lots of things that you can do with you know, 20, 50, 100 bucks. So do you have a story of maybe like the best ROI on the smallest thing that you've been able to do for someone? Yeah, too many people actually think, and I do have a good story, but too many people think that to show that you care, You've got to show it by how expensive you spend. Mm. And if you're dealing with millionaires and billionaires, that's going to be really expensive and really stupid. So I always, I always play the game. How can I show how much I care with 20 bucks? And I remember up in Ojai, just north of Los Angeles here, I've been invited to a client's birthday party. And you know, the guy, the guy collects horses, collects uh, Ferrari, and collects wine. And we turned up at this house, and there were loads of people bringing gifts to this guy and kind of blowing smoke up his backside and stuff like that. And as I was waiting in line to get into this party, there was this couple of guys that owned an air charter company just outside of Los Angeles. And I've known the guys for years. And they had a box of six bottles of wine. And I looked down and I said, oh, you know what you got there? And he said, I've got some wine. And I had nothing on me, nothing. And they said, uh, oh, we got, we got some wine for him. And I was like, oh, that's fantastic. Because you know he collects wine. He's like, yeah, 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 we know that. That's why we bought this wine. And I'm like, oh, great. What do you know about wine? And he's like, what? I said, you know, so do you collect a lot of wine? No. Do you drink a lot of wine? No, not really. So how have you picked your wine? Well, we, we spoke to someone. I said, so let me get this right. You've come to this guy who is a sommelier. He collects wine. He knows about wine. And you've got six bottles because the checkout girl at BevMo told you they were good. <laughs> and he's like, uh, and I said, and plus the fact, the only good thing for you is the one step into the door, they're going to take your present and they're going to stick it on a, on a table and he's not going to know it came from you until probably the following day. Because when you've got those kind of parties, that's what happens. So we get to the front door. We walk through the front door. They check the name on the list. They took their uh, six bowls of wine. They shove it on a table with a little note. Okay, that was it. So then the party's going on. I'm at the bar drinking an old-fashioned client comes over and the two jet charter guys are on his tail on his tail right so i'm starting to chat with him and they're like oh by the way you know we 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 got a range of wine you know i hope you like it it's it's over there we we we, we pick six you like we we don't know but i hope it they were very defensive embarrassed and just looked silly okay and the guy was the guy was really nice he was like I'm sure that'd be fantastic. Thank you very much for thinking of me. Now, they obviously haven't picked $10, bottle, $10 bottles of wine. So they've probably gone in there and gone like, what's six of your most expensive bottles of wine? You know, and they probably spent, I'd have imagined a couple of grand at minimum on these wines. And I said to him, I said, look, hey, I said, uh, here's a funny thing. I know fuck all about wine. I don't even drink much wine. <laughs> My wife drinks wine, and it's usually the cheap bottles. But the one thing that bothers me about wine 
is when they put the foil on the top, trying to get that off. When you've got a knife and stuff, it tears up and you cut your foot. That's bloody horrible. So I bought my wife this little foil remover cap that you just put on the top and just with your finger pressure, finger pressure, spin it, and it takes the foil completely off. And I put my hand in my pocket and I went, I bought one for you so that you don't cut your fingers. And he said to me, he went, I'm always cutting my fingers with the bloody knife. Thank you very much for that. It was $8 off of Amazon. <laughs> $8. Now, we went off and he, he unwrapped it and saw it and shoved it in his pocket. And then what he did, because he likes a bit of glory, he had these bottles of wine up on this table that he was going to open up and share with his friends and basically show off how connected and how wonderful he was. As he was about to do it, he picked up the little knife that you usually cut the foil, and he went, hang on a minute. My boy Sims just got me this. I'm not going <laughs> to cut my fingers anymore. And all eight bottles, he took that, and he even worked on wax. So every bottle, he used this little $8 cap, and I got a shout-out for him to remove all the tops off of these bottles. So you can think, I've had a client that collects shoes. I bought him a... Um, a uh, a shoe tr- a shoehorn, you know, a shoe tree for slipping his shoes on and off. And again, that was less than $10. In fact, I think I got two for like 12 bucks and I only gave him one. I bought a nail clipper set for a client because he moaned that whenever he was traveling, he forgot his nail clippers. So I bought him a tiny little minute set. And I said, just shove that in your suitcase. You'll never forget. And I knew another client of mine traveled a lot. So I bought him a really nice little travel adapter for all the different plugs around the planet. That travel adapter was 20 bucks. The most expensive gift I've ever given a client. $20. Wow. Yeah, and if anybody wants to explore more, I had John Rulin on the show. I don't know if you know him, Steve, but he's I know, from John G- Giftology. Yeah. yeah. So, like, if you guys want to explore a little bit more about how you can send really impactful gifts, that's another rabbit hole. But man, it just shows how powerful things can be. So, Steve, I know you got it. We got to wrap up here. Been so grateful for your time. I'm just going to have a really quick conversation with you listening right now. I just want to say if you are brand new, I want to say welcome. It's an honor to have you. You could be listening to any other podcast on the planet, but you decided that in this whole world of bajillions of podcasts, you're hanging out with me and Steve Sims today. So I'm so, so grateful for you. And if you're returning, absolutely, you're absolutely what makes this show possible. So I appreciate you. And whether you're new or returning, I just have a favor to ask you. And that is if you've been listening to this and you've heard a story that that, that, that Steve has shared today that could be impactful and you know that you can implement something, whether it's ripping something out of a magazine or sending a bar tab to someone or giving a, a really impactful small gift, like those are all things that can absolutely change someone's life. So you're absolutely going to make my day. You're going to make Steve's day if you share that. And so whether you choose to do that or not, um, Steve, this has been such a blast. Thank you so much for coming for a part two. It did not disappoint. You're the best, my friend. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. I appreciate it. I look forward to sharing a drink with you one day. Hey, it's Brandon here again. And I have a quick favor to ask before you head off. And that is if you are listening to my voice right now, and you are currently using either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would help me a ton if you could stop what you're doing, take five seconds to tap the number of stars that you think the show deserves. So if you're on Spotify, there's a place to add a star rating right underneath the name of the show. And if you're listening on Apple, just scroll down where you're seeing all the episodes and there's something that says tap to rate. Just tap the number of the stars that you think the show deserves 
And you may not know this, but I typically spend over five hours of my own time each week just researching a guest on the show. And then there's the time that's spent recording the show, the intro, reaching out to new guests, and of course, all the editing, publishing, promoting that my amazing wife and high school sweetheart, Leah, helps me to manage. So all that to say, there's a lot that goes on just to get to the point where you listen to this episode. So if you appreciate the content and have 10, five to 10 seconds to spare, it would help a ton if you could leave a quick rating on the show. Extra credit if you choose to leave a review, but just tapping whatever stars you feel the show deserves helps a ton and it takes so little time. So whether you choose to do that or not, I so appreciate you and I'll talk with you soon.